You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to GI Insights, where we cover the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in gastroenterological practice. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute and sponsored by Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America. Your host for GI Insights is Professor of Medicine at University of Illinois Chicago, Dr. Jay Goldstein. Welcome. The recertification for internal medicine and subsequently subspecialty training like gastroenterology has changed and will be changing over the next several years. For the past 20 years, it's been relatively steady. And in 2006, there was a dramatic change. And we're going to talk about some of those changes and what are the impacts on a practicing physician as well as patient outcomes. Joining me to discuss maintenance of certification is Dr. Jay Kemmerly, Professor of Medicine and Physiology, Associate Chair for GI Research at the Medical College of Virginia of Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond. Dr. Kemmerly is also the AGA Institute Editor of the Online Self-Assessment and the AGA Institute Representative to the ABIM Liaison Committee on Recertification. We're really happy to have such a distinguished speaker with us tonight. Welcome, Dr. Kimberly. Thank you very much, Jay. It's a pleasure to join you. Well, let's get right to the core of the issue. What are the current requirements for recertification, and how did they change in January 2006? Well, to really understand how things have changed in 2006, I have to take the clock back to 1989 when the American Board of Internal Medicine began issuing time-limited certificates both in internal medicine as well as subspecialties such as gastroenterology. And when they began that change to recertification, the process was very simple. Although it comprised going through several self-evaluation modules, the process could be completed fairly quickly within time. But that really was their view of what we should be doing as practitioners based on 1990. Where we are now is in an era where both the American Board of Internal Medicine as well as practitioners, in our case being gastroenterologists, practitioners and gastroenterologists embracing a concept of lifelong learning so that we not only realize that we need to start with a core of information but update that over time and then be able to demonstrate that process of lifelong learning and self-evaluation. Moving into the early 2000 era, and this is prior to the changes in 2006, the American Board of Internal Medicine also was trying to demonstrate that we need to think about not only what we're learning in terms of a didactic sense, but how we are viewing ourselves as the deliverers of healthcare and being stakeholders in that process to be able to evaluate what we're doing with our practices and to look at those quality improvement issues. And they have taken that to the level in 2006 with those guidelines such that we have to demonstrate both our ongoing self-assessment as well as our improvement in our practice. That's fascinating. When you say ongoing or continuous learning and assessment, what do you mean specifically? I mean that over the course of a 10-year period, as requirements stand now, you have to garner 100 points of recertification. 
And within that 100 points of maintenance of certification, you are required to have 20 of those points in self-assessment modules. And what they consider self-assessment is really what we would consider taking tests in terms of didactic information and clinical information. You also have to demonstrate an ongoing thought of practice improvement and quality improvement in your practice for another 20 points. And the other 80 points can be made up of a mix of the two. That's as things stand as of 2006. What do you mean in practice? The ABIM has several practice improvement modules which practitioners are required to complete as a part of this process. And some of our listeners may be familiar with these. They're very much on point, things like looking at how we handle patients with hepatitis C in our practice or how we handle screening colonoscopy in our practice. But they also were less tangible issues. For instance, evaluating how we communicate with referring physicians, how we communicate with other subspecialists. So what they're looking for is us to understand that not only is the practice of medicine knowing how to, you know, diagnose the gastronoma and treat that, but also how we interact with our patients in the current medical environment, how we interact with our peers in the practice of medicine, and look to evaluate our actions and then make improvements in those and show how they improve patient experiences as well as clinical outcomes within our practice. I think that all has phase validity, but how does one evaluate the way a physician talks to another physician or a physician talks to a patient? That's one of the really difficult areas, but one of the needs of us as practitioners to understand, as well as I think for our subspecialty associations to help its members understand that process. And that process really is, at a very granular level, finding an issue that impacts patient outcomes. In other words, are we screening our patients who hit age 50 for their screening colonoscopies? Are we communicating with our patients that, you know, it's time for them to come for that? What is our, you know, hit rate in terms of our patients coming? And how are we following up with those? Are they getting called back at the appropriate interval if they had an adenomatous polyp or a hyperplastic polyp? Does this mean that we're going to be turning over practice data to them? In some respects, yes. But the way that we're turning over practice information to them really is of advantage to patients and to practitioners because that builds databases of how large groups of patients are not only handled, but also allows us to look at large databases in terms of outcomes. And this has implications in the example I just gave in terms of surveillance colonoscopies for people that had polyps, and do we have the intervals right yet? That's one example. The other advantage to the practitioner is that a number of the major health insurers at this present time in their pay-for-performance and recognition plans, Aetna, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, and Cigna, just to name a few, recognize and reward the diplomates who are enrolled in the maintenance of certification program and complete these practice improvement efforts. At our institution, we clearly get incentives and quality measures that reflect some of these behaviors. But before we go on, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to GI Insights and Reach MD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. 
I'm your host, Dr. Jay Goldstein, and joining me today to discuss maintenance of certification from the Medical College of Virginia of Virginia Commonwealth University is Dr. Jay Kemmerly. Well, Jay, point blank, clearly this has implications for our patients. Are we seeing a change in behavior in physicians based on this certification, and how are patient outcomes really affected? To answer the first question first, I think that how we're seeing this affect patient outcomes is just in the upswing because as the gastroenterologists who are listening or other medical practitioners who are listening are engaging in practice improvement efforts that are mandated by the American Board of Internal Medicine or other boards, as that process is just going into an upswing, we're beginning to accumulate that outcomes data and information about how we can improve our practice and how that relates to outcomes. So it's early days for that part. Well, do you want to make a predictive statement? Well, I can tell you my sense of where the American Board of Internal Medicine is going. Sure. And that is that we already talked about how your 100 points of maintenance of certification are divvied up between practice improvement efforts and didactic self-improvement pieces. Right. I think over time, that current 10-year window to complete that process is going to shrink. And as it shrinks in time, it will also be greatly weighted more toward practice improvement and less in terms of didactic self-evaluation. And that really is very much in tune with the thrust of quality improvement in practice across the spectrum in medicine. My guess is that changes will be in the next five to ten years. But the other thing that's occurring is that the resources are shrinking to meet those goals, as well as it's really a very opaque area to the practitioner to understand how to accomplish these things. And that's one of the places that uh, AGA is stepping in in a number of ways to help its members meet those needs. Well, let's be specific. What is the AGA going to do to help its membership move forward and advance at the same pace or ahead of national guidelines? We're doing a couple of things. One of the things that we do is we are active participants at the table with the American Board of Internal Medicine through its Liaison Committee of Recertification, which is a group of associations and their members that cut across all of internal medicine subspecialties, looking at the issues and trying to assist the American Board of Internal Medicine in terms of where they should be going and how we can assist. How the AGA Institute can assist is through the development of a new platform called GI-SAM or GI Self-Assessment Modules, which is rolling out this fall and will begin offering ABIM compliant maintenance of certification modules to fulfill your needs for maintenance of certification, both in the self-evaluation portions as well as the practice improvement portions. And along with that is really very simple down-to-earth directions of how to do this and why you got to do it and what the benefits are. I'd like to thank you for being my guest today. I've had a pleasure speaking with Dr. Jay Kemmerly for in talking about maintenance of certification. Thank you very much. And thank you, Jay. I've enjoyed chatting with you. You have been listening to GI Insights on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute and sponsored by Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America. For additional information on this program and on-demand podcasts, 
visit us at ReachMD.com and use promo code AGA.